Moynihan and you're very welcome to my podcast, Take a Chair, Talking Theatre and Creativity, where I get the opportunity to chat to fascinating artists from all genres about their inspiration and practices. You'll hear a lot about collaboration and collective creativity, that's my term for my process of working, and I explore how these artists work with others and what they mean by the term collaboration. Today's chat is with my long-standing writing and acting partner, Terry Lieber. I've directed Terry in classic productions such as The Crucible by Arthur Miller and Amadeus by Peter Schaefer, eight productions in total. I also co-adapted and directed her in her own monologue, May the Force. And then in 2011, we hit on a comedic duo under the moniker of the Eileen and Marilyn Experience and its six separate scripted stage shows and many one-off appearances at Christmas events openings of art exhibitions and one memorial service. We always said we did West Cork from Castletown Bear to Bandon and to the Everyman in Cork and we were big in Middleton. So Terry is the one I've had the longest co-creation partnership with probably. In recording and editing these podcasts I am conscious of not being too obvious, staying in the background. This episode proved the trickiest by far. Just because we are the personalities we are and have worked together so much. There's far too much of me in it, and I apologise for that. There's a lot of laughing too, that's not great. And one moment I should have edited out as I was tripping over my tongue so badly, but I left the sequence in to show you just what I had to put up with. As usual, at the beginning of these chats, I asked Terry to introduce herself. Um, Hi, Karen. Well, I am a writer and an actor and a teacher of English and drama. That's me. Um, do you want to know anything else about me? Has that changed over the years or how do you always see yourself as an actor or do you always see yourself as a, a writer? Or? I, I, I suppose the balance of those three things changes from time to time. Sometimes I'm more actor than teacher, more teacher than actor, more writer than anything. Um, but basically those three strands, I think, at this stage have gone consistently through my adult life. And I identify with all three. There are more things I also identify with, but those those will do. <laughs> yes. uh, we've been working together for over 20 years, Terry. I know. <laughs> and in that wow. time, we have been involved in uh, many plays and we have worked together where you have been the actor and I've been the director in the Eileen and Marilyn stuff in particular, where we worked together on that uh, oh my God, sorry, this is really inarticulate. So in Ireland and Maryland, we worked together where we... It's okay, it, it'll make me sound better. So you, you, mumble, you mumble away, Karen. I'll come across as the really articulate one. <laughs> Excellent. In, in May the Force, you would have been the actor, but you also came up with the original story and then we adapted that for yeah. stage together. Uh, which was a very straight play. And then we've had a lot of work together in the Eileen and Marilyn stuff. How how would you see that? How would you describe that, that Eileen and Marilyn stuff? Eileen and Marilyn? Well, yeah. we, we always called ourselves um, comedy cabaret. But I think, I think really that was just a, a useful little umbrella term because I think we both saw Eileen and Marilyn as much more of a drama of these two women and their relationship and so many aspects of 
life, they're growing old together, the, the need for home, they're looking for, I just, so, many, so many things came up. And the, a big thing specifically was the English woman and the Irish woman and the living together cross-cultural liaison, just loads of issues, love and life and children and lack of children and miscarriage and all these kind of issues that came into the, their two lives, but also comedy, a lot of comedy and music. Yeah, and it was very based in West Cork, wasn't it? It was yes. just... And, and, universal. And yet universal, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Doesn't it sound fabulous? Don't you think people, far more people should have actually got out and seen it, Karen? <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> we'll blame them accordingly. So in relation to the difference for you as in working together, what was that like as a creative person for you, how different was that to writing on your own, to writing your novel, or what the two novels that you've written, uh, to writing um, your monologue on your own, or how different was that for you as an experience? Uh, well, for me, I think it's great. I think working with someone else who you, you know, creatively, you get along brilliantly with, as well as anything else, is fantastic because it's half the work for a start and it's not lonely and you can chat and um, it's just a much more pleasant experience being creative with someone else. Yeah. Um, but I, I know sometimes, like when you're, you're writing by yourself, every decision you make is the right one. Like, you know, you're king of everything, uh, queen of everything. But so every so often, as you know, Karen, we would have those slight, slight differences of opinion from time to time. I don't remember and, any of those. <laughs> and we'd have to negotiate very diplomatically around those little, little spots. But we always came through them. Yeah. And um, I think because we do have great respect for each other's abilities and knowledge of our respective characters and so on, that it was never a big issue. So in the main, I thought it was great because it was way more fun than sitting in a room on your own writing. I keep talking about this collaboration and collective creativity. And and I keep saying that collaboration means a different thing to everybody. And collaboration often means to people, this is my layer of creativity. And you put yours on top of that and the other on top and then the other on top. And maybe you have something together and but but for me, for the work that you and I would have done came to a place where you just were in a zone. You were in a zone. And certainly after our eight different shows, we then started working on the TV series. And at that point, we were well into our our way of working, our way of find, finding a flow or recognizing when we were stuck or that bounce off one another mm. is something that's really fantastic if you can get to it and and I think we Definitely. we did that often in in, yeah. in in the writing no I I think it maybe it isn't always successful working with someone else it has to be just the right chemistry like I think we both grew to know our own characters really well and had you know a knowledge of the other character but we still I think we always remain within our own character but but can can really I don't know. It just worked really well. That we understood what would work, what was funny. We'd try it out, um, and we, which I suppose after so many shows, so many performances, and so many bizarre places, we just had such a good working knowledge of of what would work, what what was funny, yeah. 
um, how poignant we could go without people feeling uncomfortable, which is was pretty poignant, really. It, yeah, it's just very special. It just worked very well. Yeah. And there were very, very rarely problems with it, definitely. Yeah. I think we also worked really hard at it. And mm. so, sometimes I think that people don't quite see uh, comedy in the same light as kind of serious acting. And I think that belies the actual the work involved in timing yeah. and in, in making and getting the balance of stuff right. Yeah. Uh, and it's also like there's there's the hard work of figuring it out beforehand, rehearsing it, but then taking it to an audience. And, you know, I think because in, in the early days of, of a show, um, we're still testing out the material. And it's like being a test pilot that you, you take a show out and you're not sure which bits are going to work and you're sometimes surprised at some bits which do work that you haven't expected. But it takes a lot of hard work and adaptability to think on your feet like that. You know, if, if we're on stage and something, because the show is mainly scripted, but a lot improvised once it gets out there, you know, you know yourself, Karen, because you were there too, that if, you know, you're finding something is maybe dragging a bit or you're not getting a reaction that you're really comfortable with and you have to adapt it yeah. on the hoof. Yeah. Like that's terrifying. That is, yeah. you know, you're you're risking total humiliation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's yeah. that, you know, that causes a lot of calories to be burnt up as well. For sure. And then and then the fact that you were writing it yourself, you you had a double whammy of vulnerability in it. Yeah. Because having you couldn't even blame a a, a rubbish playwright no, for no. <laughs> entirely your own work. And then of course there is that whole thing that happens in comedy where you get into some sort of another zone. I don't know, was I worse than you at this, Terry, about, about going no, off I don't, I don't think I don't think you're worse. I think both of us, every so often you'd you'd feel that you know, that you're on a roll and, oh, my God, this is so working. I'm just going to go for this and yeah. just briefly forget that there were two of you on stage and yeah. that uh, you had to actually incorporate the other person. Yeah, exactly. a great moment. Yes, exactly. I yeah, think like, just, just occasionally we both did that. Um, but we <laughs> Very occasionally. Stood in front of the other person or done uh, them off the stage. Exactly. And what, what's the difference between that and, and straight acting for you? Uh, there was some straight acting in Eileen and Marilyn as well. Some of the, yeah. the poignant bit were but very straight. Yes, that's very true. But there, there's something quite different. So put yourself back into May the Force, where this was this piece of writing. Explain what the story of that is. OK, well, May the Force is a little bit autobiographical, but not entirely by any means, about um, an eight-year-old girl living in a police community in the 1970s in England, um, they, they existed. Police, policemen and their families were put into enclaves together. They weren't allowed to mix with the public. So um, a child in that situation, as I was, um, you would move every couple of years to another town, but you would live in a police enclave. And so they were similar and yet they were always different. And um, May the Force was a one woman show where I played the little girl and also all the women whose houses the small girl drifted between and she lived totally in her imagination and just took on parts of the adult world but didn't quite understand it and there was a huge drama going on with the women around her which she only partially acknowledged but became very much part of um so that that sounds a bit 
confusing, but basically it's about a little girl um, surrounded by adults. And, and uh, as an actor, you would have done all those various... Yes, so I, I played the little girl and all the women. And also Karen introduced an element which I thought was brilliant. Um, some people didn't get, but that always happens, I guess, that um, we did an awful lot of work, didn't we, beforehand yeah. on on the physical theatre aspect of it, because I really like doing that, and and Karen enjoys that too. So we we were kind of thinking about the inner physicality as well as the outer physicality, and, and Karen came up with this idea of, of a puppet that every so often when she blew a police whistle, whichever character I was playing would then kind of change into their marionette version of the character. Um, I suppose that the thinking behind it was that they were all, there was that the children were at the centre, the women were around them, and then the men, the policemen were at the outside and they were really calling all the shots. And at, at their whistle, everybody would have to behave in a certain uh, in a certain way. And so that, that change into the puppet version of the person only lasted like a couple of seconds after the, the whistle but it was it was very strange and I think it added a real dimension to the show I really enjoyed that so that was the one of the things that we came up with when we were working together so so closely using all your your really interesting rehearsal processes you come up with some you know because that could have been a pretty straight show but it wasn't it had all these different aspects of it that yeah. came up from that original rehearsal time yeah and in, in actually performing it were you aware of like that was quite draining because you were on your own in it and it was quite an intense piece uh, yeah. but there must be something very was there something kind of really uh, challenging about it as well wasn't there it was very challenging because it was slightly autobiographical and I was a strange child who lived in the houses of all these other housewives rather than my own home and my imagination was very um, ignited by these women and and the way I viewed them so for me it, it was kind of strange and we it became kind of darker and darker the more yeah. we rehearsed it I think and yeah. we had this, this amazing set it was a small set but it was very you know you could change it into all these different things the lighting was very kind of um, moody and yeah. um so everything about it was quite intense and the emotions were very heightened in it um, and it was all in this very small area and it took me back to my childhood to a large extent. So it was very intense kind yeah. of show, I think. And how did it feel for you being directing it? I, I loved directing it because you have this incredibly, you know, uh, intense emotions to work with. I love all that playfulness that you talk about, the the physicality of things, of coming up with things that just heighten some aspect of it or illuminate a point, uh, illuminate a feeling or something within it. And finding those moments where you just capture an audience really through the playfulness of it as well. You know, the set that you talk about became a playground and it became a door and it became and you knocked on the door at one stage. Um, so all of those things, I really, I love that kind of playfulness. It was a challenge, I suppose, you know, with an audience, because some of the audience did find it challenging in terms of the intensity of it. Uh, and then as you're looking back, we were always questioning, is it is it too heavy? Do people get it? So that seems to be a recurring theme anyway, Terry, in whatever we do. <laughs> That's the beauty of it as well, isn't it? I suppose at this point, what's amazing is that 
when we were having these conversations 15, 20 years ago or 10 years ago at the start of Valley in the Maryland, 11 or 12 or whenever we started, that we were worried about that, whereas now we are no longer worried. That's, we know that that's part of the process. And mm. um, I, I don't know if you, if, if you feel that your uh, approach to directing has changed at all down the years, if, if you've kind of developed it at all. But I think I've always really enjoyed the, the lengthy rehearsal process that you have with so much kind of trying to get under the skin of the piece and the characters and before you ever go anywhere near the script. When we did Tales from Ovid, Ovid, um, years ago and we we all play so many different characters but we didn't go straight into those characters by any means we spent ages playing around with them but again that was a very physical piece and just brought so much out of it really that pre-period where you just get to play around with everything which I know is a luxury because if you were if you were you know spending someone's money and you had to have, have it done by a certain amount of time you wouldn't be able to do it but it is great I think yeah I'm it still is done by it and I suppose that makes me think of the physicality of things as well, how important that has been in all, in all of the work we've done, that sense of creating of, of um, one of the quotes I have there from, from uh, Peter Brook is about the use of the entire body. The actor must use, they must act from their, their baby toe to the top of their head, you know, all of it, um, all of it must, ask, must, must be involved in the acting. Like, and it's finding those things in the rehearsal process, in the finding out about other people within the rehearsal process as well, mm-hmm. finding out about the other actors and engaging with them and meeting them at a place. Mm-hmm. It's different to your engagement with people on other days, on other occasions or other conversations. But for example, I remember you as Minerva, wasn't it, where you were the, the spider? Yeah, oh, I loved up. that one. That was yeah. great. And for all of them, for Tales from Ovid, from Amour that we did as well, that was that also was very physical. As well. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I love dancing. I love, I do love movement. And to have the chance to be that bird in Amour was great. I'm always glad that I got to play a bird, even though I did break my foot doing it. So I wasn't a very delicate bird, obviously. I was a bit of a heavy, heavy stumper of a bird. But um, it was great no, I, to have the opportunity to be a bird. That's great. Yeah. And to be a spider and all those things. Exactly. Thank you for those opportunities, Karen, to uh, yes. you know, build different animals. <laughs> Where does the connection with other actors within that? Where does that hold its place for you or... What excites you within all of that kind of exploration? It is fantastic because, you you know, there's a kind of openness then with people that you, with other actors that you wouldn't have, you know, easily and in every day. But it's also, it's something that has to be navigated quite sensitively um, because people are, you have to remember people are acting and that people can be very, very um, vulnerable under it. And you, I think you have to just take your time to figure out where people are, how much of themselves are they giving, how far do they want to go, because you, I, I, and, but that's interesting, you know, that, that is interesting. It's another way of, of getting to know people in that setting. You can't just presume people are going, going hell for leather but you need it's you know it's like a courtship ritual you need to and like you and I I think even acting together and Eileen and Marilyn you know you don't know initially 
how much the other character wants to give, how how comfortable they are. And I know there's been times when you haven't been comfortable with something and or I haven't. And, you know, something breaks through from yourself through the, the character that you didn't really want to break through. Or, you know, you're always people, whatever yes you're doing you're bringing you're bringing yourself to it however much you're shielding yourself or allowing yourself through this character and it's not it's not simply when you're acting you're something different yeah there are degrees of um of how open you are I suppose how how much is flowing through the character and that's it I think that's interesting too yeah, and where you are in your life, like, I mean, that is, is very much part of it. There are moments when you're acting where you're warming up into it. And then there comes a point where I think you're observing yourself from outside and insofar as you can when you're when you're still looking out of your own eyes. And obviously, the longer we worked on it, the more comfortable we were with, with all of that and the more able we were to figure out what it was, was the the kind of the blockage or the something that we needed to approach in a different way yeah. or to... But to be times, and I'm sure it was the same for you, where, because um, there was so much improvising, that I suddenly see Karen flash back into Eileen's eyes. I think, woo, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there'd, there'd be a moment when you think, okay, um, I think I've just got a warning there. I think, you know, it's just really interesting because when you're working so closely... Yeah, and Eileen, Eileen would be, you know, in full flow sometimes, and then I don't know, something might happen, and it was just, yes. just like Karen came back, and then she's gone, and yes. and <laughs> yeah, yeah, really interesting, you know, yeah. you know, always the audience is the the principal thing, and everything you yeah. do has to be to make them happy. So, kind of negotiating your own, you know, your own emotions, which might flare up and flare back down, you just have to ignore that, and yes. Yeah. And there is a certain parameter in it for Bradley and Marilyn. The audience needed to be laughing. They needed to be yeah. entertained. The balance of humour and pathos needed to be uh, managed so that it was mostly humour, probably, I don't know, would you say 75%, 25%? Yeah. And entertaining. And then, of course, we always relied on the music, on singing a song yeah. in order to settle an audience as well. You can be kind of more emotional sometimes in a song yeah. in a way that that is harder in with the words it's not so difficult for an audience to take when you're seeing yeah and, and I think like you're saying if someone else had written it in a way that's easier but because we're writing it too your mind is sometimes flicking between writer and performer and thinking oh perhaps we shouldn't have made this so something or other it's only till you get really into a show and you trust it yeah. that you you let the writing part of it go and you just enjoy being the character it takes a while to actually trust that the show is is working though doesn't it yeah for definite it takes a long while to, re- to really trust it I kind of feel that we were a bit unfortunate in that if there had been maybe a producer with us because mm-hmm. we were kind of really responsible for promoting it and marketing and whatever needs to be done we were doing it sometimes our musician gave us that outside eye that you actually yeah that was that was great or whoever was traveling with us to support us uh, with lighting or whatever and how do you feel about um people presuming that you are Eileen or people presuming that I am Marilyn how how does that sit with you Karen I'll tell you, Will, it's happening less because we haven't been on the road for a while. Somebody once described the, a small performance we did as they felt I was channeling Eileen. 
And I was thinking, that's grand, but definitely after a number of years, people would just assume you were that character. They yeah. would <laughs> be through the shop and smile at you because they assumed you were Eileen as, yeah. and, and I've certainly been called Eileen a couple of times. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, it's interesting people assuming you're a floozy. Um, yes. Sometimes it's kind of fun and sometimes it's like, oh, no, really? Like, I'm not really yes. in the mood to be outgoing and uh, outrageous. No, it's but actually it is great fun to just let all your inhibitions go and be Marilyn because she just, you know, she'll do anything. She wants everybody's love and attention. Um, yeah. Nothing is too outrageous for her, really. So it is it is a great release to to be Marilyn for a short while. I'm not sure how it feels to be Eileen. I'm glad to, that I've separated a little bit, although they say that every character you write has a, has a little bit of yourself. And there is a good deal of, of uh, Eileen in my background and in what I see around me. Uh, she's very good natured, but she drove people daft, really. She was very annoying at times. Her annoying traits are just so funny, though. Yeah. Like what's really what's always really interesting, you know, this as well, is that when you write something and you bring it to people to read it or they come to see it or whatever, and they get very carried away with discussing the character. And there's something really exciting about about how other people taking on what you conceive, right? And that's fantastic. What's the difference for you, Terry, as a director versus as an actor? Because you've directed loads of stuff in school. and I haven't directed as much as you have. I, yeah, I like directing. I, I hadn't realised that there was that level of creativity and that things come to you. Like when you're writing and you get into a certain zone and things come to you and you, you kind of see the way you'd like things to be and I think that's really really great I'm not sure I have as good an eye as you have I know you're you've you're great at controlling large numbers and I don't know I I think it's a forte of yours I enjoy it and I think I've got better at it but um sometimes I just wish I could just be in the chorus line um, showing off and having an easy life. I, I hate that moment when you're directing teenagers and you want to go up and sing the song. Yeah. Get out of the way. Let me show you how it's done. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's not a good moment. <laughs> so creatively, it seems to me that your entire life is creative. You have to be doing something creative. I do oh, have five children, uh, Karen. So That was a very, very creative of <laughs> you. <laughs> yes. But I do remember you uh, breastfeeding one of them out the back of the hall when he was very tiny when you were performing. On Cape Clear. On Cape Clear, yeah. In a howling wind, dressed as a Puritan woman in the crucible. And exactly. uh, there are no um, there are no easy access routes into a Puritan costume, let me tell you. It's hike <laughs> the thing up and get the baby um, latched on. So yes, I know I'm I'm very committed to my my craft, Karen. It's true. Yeah. I went outside a windy hall on Cape Clear. Should I have? There was something amazing about the image of the costumes. My recollection is that a lot of the people didn't change until they got back to the accommodation. So we went from Sunanor, I think is the name of the hall in Cape Clear, and we went down the very high hill. And the sun was setting, and you had all these Puritan Rest costumes. Puritan, fantastic, yeah. And the crucible um, was fantastic. Like it, it looked amazing. The set 
by Simon Connor was amazing and yeah. that was very impressive. I mean, it's a great play by yeah. Arthur Miller, but we did it justice, I'd say. We've had fantastic, <clears throat> we certainly try our best in terms of spectacle. And we've been incredibly fortunate to have so many fantastic artists assisting yeah. us. Whatever. But come back to writing. Talk to me about where does the writing, acting balance come for you? Are you writing every yeah, day? Yeah, I'm, I'm always writing. I I like writing poetry, short stories, these two novels, um, plays. I, I just like writing. I just like creating worlds. I was always, like when I was little, I was always lived in my imagination, played on my own a lot with bits of stick, that kind of child. I just love doing it. And then sometimes, you know, some of the writing is stuff that would do in public um, and I feel happy to share uh, a lot of the time I say when I die my kids will find boxes of nonsense that just needs to be thrown on a bonfire but um, I hope they don't try and publish those boxfuls of nonsense so I'm, I should probably sort that out before I even feel in the least bit sick but no there's bits that I'm, I'm happy with like I, I think that first novel now I'm happy to try and maybe show that to the world but it's it's kind of it's self-defeating if you're always thinking about people looking at it and I think doing it for yourself is the most important thing. What about your current novel what you're working on at the moment? Yeah well that's pure fun that's like I'm, I'm over lockdown in particular but in general I do like detective novels that aren't too gruesome that are just basically the you know character driven this current one that I'm writing is very character driven because I'm really not sure what the plot is at this stage, but there's some great characters. <laughs> and when they make it into a Netflix series, um, there'll be some fantastic parts there for women in particular. What is your structure for that? How, how do you write? Well, I would like to be like JK Rowling and have an incredible structure before I get started or you know, a plan. And like I tell my students, plan, plan, plan. But with this one, I just really enjoy sitting down and letting it just flow. And things do come to you like that. The, the structure does to an extent come to you when you, you know, there's no rush, nobody breathing down your neck. But I fear I may, I may have um, bitten off a bit more than I can chew because there does have to be a crime and there does have to be a solution. So at some point I'm going to have to be a little bit more detailed yeah, I do think it comes back to the structure versus the flow theory. You know, some people definitely work, plan and plot and break it down and analyse and put it all out on a big sheet or mm. hang it up on the wall or whatever. And then there are others who need to spew it out, don't they? And I think you're a spewer, aren't you? You're, you're kind of... I'm, I'm a spewer, yeah, Karen. I think you're I'm a spewer. spewer. <laughs> are you a spewer? I'm a bit of a spewer. I, what happens to me is that I spew... And I work around and I spew a bit more and I work around a bit more. And then there comes a point where I say, what am I doing here? This is just, this is going to go nowhere unless I get a bit of a shape on it. Yeah. And then the shape comes to me. Yeah, and you then, put a shape on your spew. That's good. I put a shape on my spew. Well, how does this work for you? I love those moments, which are actually happening very early in the morning at the moment. But just as I'm waking up before I'm in full consciousness, I resolve the creative issues. Wow. Yeah. You're kind of thinking, oh, God, I'd know what to do with this. And You and go to bed thinking about it and then it I, like resolves I, during the night. 
Not always. It can sometimes be just something that's been hanging around for a while. I, I, I rarely intentionally let it sit there. But sometimes it has happened, as has happened with many other people, when you're doing some physical activity like uh, washing the wear or going for a walk or driving the car, that it seems mm. to free up your mind in order to get a kind of a flash of inspiration. Wow. Does that happen for you at all? No. No, no I, I don't think that has ever happened for me. <laughs> But it sounds brilliant. If you could just kind of feed in world peace before you go to bed and then wake up with a solution. <laughs> Not wasting your time on that that creative nonsense. Well, I, I think my creative process has been shoved down the toilet there somewhere, Terry. Three kids, don't do this. No. <laughs> I know, what are you kidding? I feel like I'm in an Eileen and Marilyn skit quite frankly. <laughs> Darling, have a cocktail. Have a cocktail, yeah, you've a grand mm. one of one of your you one of your streetini. Yeah. <laughs> quality streetinis. I think you've destroyed at least two blenders, haven't you? Making quality streetinis. Yeah, well, if you accidentally stick the toffee ones in, they will destroy your blender. It's very tough, those toffee ones. Mm. So Terry, I think my mm. final question to you is would you like to tell me about a chair? Any chair. A chair? Any chair? Yes. You told me not to give you any questions. I know. This is why. You no, I wish I'd it. asked for a crit sheet. Well, because we're talking about theatre and then you say chair, and then I think about those chairs that we had when we did that street theatre. What was it called? Colours? It was, was in search of colour. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, we each had a coloured chair and... Yeah, they were really beautiful. And I do believe that Julia took them back at the end of the, the run and put them in her house, which I thought was a bit a bit off, really, because I would have liked to have brought mine home. But yeah, that those chairs, and that makes me think of us um, out in parks and in streets doing this very bizarre show, what nobody understood, but it was all quite intriguing. And um, standing on chairs and using chairs as all sorts of um, props. And they were beautiful pastel colours, I don't even know what mine was. I'm thinking of the pink one, but mine was probably blue. What colour was I, Karen? I was... I can't remember. I, I, I remember the pink one. And I think I just kind of had my eye on the pink one. And it was a bit sad when Julia, just because she bought them and painted them, got to take them home again. <laughs> I'm a little bit resentful, but, you know, I'll get over it. That's nice. There's a sense of the theatre chair about that, isn't there? About uh, being mm. being so useful for everything. There's something... That I find amazing about a chair, the fact that it is so universal or something. I'm sure there's a lovely word, but I can't think of for this. Where it is, takes is, this um, is this kind of Freudian, like the Shawshank test, the Rorschach test, that one, whatever it's called, where you, you know, it symbolizes something like okay. a chair. What does it symbolize, Karen? What are you what are you getting at here? What is the chair image doing? I have no idea what Freud might think about it, but it makes me think of theatre really and of playfulness and of of it can be and it can take on anything, you know, like an actor. You know, I love that kind of starting with a bare hall and stick a chair in it and see what comes yeah. out of that. That's that's why I called it take a chair. <laughs> Wasn't this a random question? Oh. And you know what? And when I go away now, I'm going to be thinking about all the ones I should have said. I'm thinking about the chairs that we had for Eileen and Marilyn, the bar stools. And, you know, there'll be all these chairs that I wish I'd actually yeah are you going to mention every chair now that's going to random yeah, every chair I've ever come across. <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> you can't edit it because this is quality interview time, Karen. So every chair I mentioned has got to be kept in. I shall run out of chairs. So there we are. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much for um having me on your podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you remembered to say goodbye, Terry. Glad you forgot all about it. Terry, thank you so much for being my guest. Um You're very welcome. And if I'd have been the first instead of the third, I'd have been even more grateful. Oh. But look, sure look. Third isn't bad, Karen. <laughs> you completed, Terry. See <laughs> you, Karen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast, number three in series one. It's published a week after a linked blog, Close Connections and Understanding. Next Thursday, I publish blog four and podcast four the following week. See you then.